Please be seated for our Bible readings, and then Helen will will come and preach to us this morning. Helen, it's lovely to have you with us this morning. Is taken from the first letter of Paul to the Thessalonians, chapter 3, beginning at verse 9. It can be found on page 219 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. In this reading, Paul thanks and prays for the church in Thessalonica. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we feel before our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke, chapter 1, beginning at verse 25. It can be found on page 91 of the New Testament section of the Church Bible. And in this reading, Jesus speaks of the future difficult times and the importance to his disciples remaining faithful to the Lord through the persistent watchful prayer. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars, and on the earth distress among the nations, confused by the roaring of the sea and the waves. People will faint from fear and foreboding of what is coming upon the world, for the powers of the heaven will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, stand up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Be on guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. And that day does not catch you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come upon all who live on the face of the whole earth. Be alert at all times, praying that you have the strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This is the Gospel of the Lord. 
Praise to you, O Christ. Please do be seated. It's very nice to be with you this morning. I have actually got a cold, but do not fear. I took my my lateral flow test this morning, and it is just a cold. So the season of Advent is a joyous occasion, is it not? It's full of expectation. But Advent is also a time for reflection. It's a time to pray for our world, which is still in exile. It's a time for penance and fasting, if one is so inclined. It is a mini Lent, would you say, Ian? And maybe that gets a bit lost amongst the chocolate advent calendars and the general hustle and bustle. So today, I'm going to talk about sin. Sin is not a feel-good word, is it? It's not what we want to hear about when, uh, for a second Christmas, COVID is still with us. Through the media, we know about the decimation of our planet. We witness wars, displacement, and starvation in countless countries, and harrowing scenes of desperate people crammed into flimsy boats, drowning for a dream, not many miles from our own shores. And the parlous state of the world engenders fear for the future of the children and grandchildren of the world, and that includes our own. We are global, and we cannot unknow what we know. So Advent 2021 can feel more like an alien, dystopian society, which we reluctantly inhabit, rather than a cosy Christmas card scene. We feel a bit beaten up in need of hugs, which we can't have. So to beat ourselves up with the old-fashioned notion of sin feels somewhat counterintuitive. But fear not. I've just read a book by Barbara Brown Taylor called Speaking of Sin, And I'm going to be quoting from her liberally today because she explains it so well. And through her words, I think I've discovered somewhat late in the day that sin is not a bad word. It's a good word. It's a liberating word. And she says this. There are words within Christendom that most likely cause us discomfort and have widely fallen into neglect. Sin, damnation, repentance, penance and salvation. But, she says, abandoning the language will not make sin go away. It will simply increase our denial of its presence in our lives. More to the point, it will also weaken the language of grace because 
the full impact of forgiveness cannot be felt apart from the full impact of what has been forgiven. She assures us that sin is a helpful word, indeed a hopeful word. It enables us to move from guilt to grace. You at St. One are grounded in biblical truth, in the incarnation, the crucifixion and the resurrection of our Lord. St. Juan's church is reliant on the liturgy of forgiveness and restoration. It is absolutely central to your spirituality, your thinking, and your worship. So if you at St. Juan and me at Trinity are not comfortable with the language of sin, it begs the question, why do we think we need forgiveness? What do we think we are being redeemed from? What do we think we are being restored to? Someone said to uh, Dr. Taylor, all your church cares about is justification. You love sinning and being forgiven, sinning and being forgiven, but no one seems to want to get off the hamster wheel. Have you never heard of sanctification? Is anyone interested in learning to sin a little less? And talking of sin, let's look at penance. Now there's a word that's fallen out of fashion. But penance, historically, was not about punishment. Penance was about repair. Penance was a way back into relationship. But like other good spiritual practices, it was open to corruption. And when the Protestant reformers rebelled against some aspects of Catholic practice, penance was one of the babies thrown out with the bathwater. It supposedly undermined grace. And it was ripe for abuse because the medieval church started demanding payment for the forgiveness of sins, what we know, of course, as the selling of indulgences. But by getting rid of penance, we have lost a powerful way of living into our repentance. We say that we're sorry for our sins. Jesus says that he forgives us. And that is that. Bygones are supposed to be bygones. But we know that is not true. For the fallout from sin goes on and on. And while Jesus did the hardest work for us on the cross, doing something that we never ever could have done for ourselves, we are called upon to participate in our own redemption. We are expected to be agents of God's grace. Repentance means more than saying I'm sorry. It should include penance. Penance being the acceptance of responsibility for repair whenever possible. 
And it is one of the most healing things a repentant sinner can do, as well as perhaps one of the most painful. And while it may look like our own work, it is not. Like the pardon that is offered when we confess, penance is also God's gift. True repentance and all that it involves promises us reunion with God, restoration to community and to one another. So, here's the challenge, says Dr. Taylor. There is no reason why anyone should ever believe our talk of God's transforming power of God's advent unless they can also see that advent, that visitation, that transformation taking place in us and through us in the world. We, for better or for worse, are the people God has chosen to embody the gospel. We are the people that God has chosen to bring about his advent, to bring about the kingdom of God. On the first Sunday of Advent, Ian, in his rich and deeply poetic sermon, talked about the hope of a new creation, which we can experience right now in part as a foretaste of what is to come when it will be forever. So, Ian, I think we can refer to three advents. Would you agree, theologically? Am I okay there? (coughs) Only one of which we have any control over. We have the advent of Christ coming as a baby into our world, the truth of the incarnation, We, of course, await the final advent when we will see the Son of Man coming on a cloud with power and great glory and we can stand up and raise our heads to embrace our final redemption. But there is a middle advent, which is our own personal advent, starting when we acknowledge our need for Christ in our lives. We can bring about that advent by the way we live, the way we treat each other, the way we treat our world, and by our own closeness to God through the Holy Spirit. We have a vital role to play in thy kingdom come praxis. This does not obviate the role of grace in our lives, Indeed, it is reliant on God's grace. So this Advent, this Christmas, may we take seriously the words of the Gospel reading today to be on guard so that our hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. Now there's a challenge But we are not struggling alone. 
listen to Paul's wonderful prayer for his brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, which we have also heard today. May the Lord make us increase and abound in love for one another and for all. And may he strengthen all our hearts in holiness. This is our Advent homework, to work on repentance, penance, restoration, holiness, and readiness. To work on transformative love for each other and for the world. For what, I ask myself, is the point of Advent if it doesn't spur me on to make a difference? For his name's sake we ask it. Amen.